0: Hi, and welcome to the Building Educator Capacity podcast, where we strive to improve student learning by expanding the capacity of our school districts. I'm Phil, your host today for this podcast. The digital landscape is ever-expanding, and we want to make sure our children know how to have safe experiences online. With new ways to communicate online, including the rise of live streaming through popular apps like TikTok, CC2 consultant Valerie Schmitz and Susan Kennedy, Senior Program Manager, of Outreach and Prevention for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children talk about things teachers and parents need to consider to have safe experiences online. Susan Kennedy joined the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in 2018. As a Senior Program Manager of Outreach and Prevention, Susan is responsible for the implementation of NICMIX prevention programs in line with current trends and best practices for overseeing efforts related to disseminating information to professionals and communities about NICMIX programs and services. Susan holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Psychology from the College of William & Mary and a Master of Education degree in Human Development and Psychology from Harvard University.
1: In the spring of 2020, as the majority of our students were learning virtually, we had the great pleasure of speaking with Belinda Swan from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children about the challenges presented with the increased use of digital tools and how to best support our children so that they made responsible choices and stay safe online. The podcast, um, hopefully you listened to it, was incredibly informative and very popular with our listeners. And as anyone who uses digital devices knows, technology and the tools we use changes very rapidly. Since our last conversation with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children or NECMEC, we have seen tremendous growth in live streaming. And with that come many opportunities for expression, of course, but also many challenges in ensuring that our children are safe. To learn more about emerging trends in the digital worlds of our children, we welcome Susan Kennedy, Susan is the Senior Program Manager uh, for Outreach and Prevention for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited for our
1: our conversation today. Me too. Um, I'm wondering, Susan, can you just remind our listeners what NICMEC is and um, kind of a bit about the work that you do? Sure. So, the National
2: Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a nonprofit. Um, We do a wide array of services related to both missing and exploited children. I think for our discussion today, we'll probably focus mostly on the work we do with exploited children, issues and cases, um, primarily our cyber tip line. So the cyber tip line is the nation's reporting mechanism for child sexual exploitation online. And basically, the National Center receives information from the general public, from law enforcement, from the internet companies themselves of suspected child sexual exploitation, takes that information, looks at it, analyzes it, and gives it back to law enforcement to um, do what they need to do to keep kids safe who may be being harmed online. And so, you know, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about what we have learned and what we are learning every day about what's going on with kids online, because we have um, all of this data and information coming into us as that central reporting mechanism. So we're learning a lot about what's going on with kids online, And I think because we are getting all that information and we're seeing what's going on for children and and ways they can be harmed, we really feel an obligation to take that information and give it back to the communities in terms of um, really data informed prevention messages and information that, um, you know, educators, other professionals, parents can use to keep kids safer online.
1: Great. Thank you. And I should mention too, just as an educator, our intention is not to say the internet is bad. You should never use the internet, right? It's an amazing tool. It's an amazing uh, resource for anything you can possibly imagine. It it also, educating our children empowers them to to use it safely and, and for that purpose. So that's what we're talking about today. And I know that in our last podcast um, with Belinda, we shared some incredible statistics around the number of reports that were received into your cyber tip line, they were just just shocking numbers. Um, And since then, um, even though it's just been a year, almost a year and a half since that time we've continued to expand our digital lives uh, very much and can you share a bit about what NCMEC is learning in regard to um, those reports and such.
2: Absolutely. I mean, first, I want to echo what you started by saying, which is that, you know, the internet is not all bad, even at the National Center. um, You know, our organization is privy to a lot of the bad that can happen to kids online. But um, I would wholeheartedly agree with you that, you know, the the internet's not just bad, there's a lot of good that happens. I think all of us are so appreciative of having that technology, especially over the last year. And there's tremendous potential for kids um, to connect with one another to do creative things to learn more, all of that is true. So I don't want any of this, even though, um, you know, we're probably going to focus a bit on the bad. I definitely want that takeaway for um, educators and parents to, to rise to the top that it's not all bad. That being said, um, you know, I, I, Belinda was on your podcast last year. It sounds like, you know, in the beginning of um, the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, we all were sort of looking at kids learning at home, often with less supervision and just available online for all sorts of things. Um, and we were worried about what that would do um, in terms of our reports and, and what we the harm that might happen with more access and opportunity with kids being online. And unfortunately, we did see an increase in cyber tip line reports when you compare um, 2019 to 2020. And we have been seeing an increase. And part of that increase um, you know, could be a good thing in terms of more internet providers and the public and law enforcement being more aware of our issues and having better technology to find bad content reporting it. But we did see a 28% increase overall in our cyber tip line reports in 2020 compared to 2019. And sort of, I think importantly, we also saw almost a doubling, so a 97.5 increase in cases specifically related to online enticement. And mm-hmm. I do want to define that very quickly. Online enticement is when an adult communicates with a child online with an intention or in order to commit some kind of sexual offense or abduction. So it's when a, an adult is talking to a child with that intention. And it can look like a variety of things. Um, one thing that you know your audience may or may not be familiar with is a term called sextortion, which is a mix of the word sex and extortion, and it's when someone is forcing or coercing um, or threatening in some way a child to do something sexual. Usually, it's take a picture of themselves, um, like an explicit picture, a nude picture, um, and that is a form of online enticement. So when I talk about this increase, this almost doubling, that's included in that category. So we did see an uptick and kind of larger than the increase in our general report. So that's something to be cued into, I think, as educators and as parents that, um, you know, in that year, that first year, and we'll see what 2021 looks like in a few months. But we have seen increases in in those kinds of reports. So that's something to be aware of, and something we're watching kind of as an emerging trend to let everyone kind of know about it and give some tools and resources around.
1: And I think it's important to note too, that these are just not like strangers in dark alleys, right? Finding your kids in, in social media platforms. These are often people that the children know. Is that typically the case?
2: Yeah. I think that's really important to know. Actually. I think a lot of us as parents, and I'm a parent myself, like we are really kind of cued into or aware of this, of a potential for our child to be communicating with someone they don't know online and that person harming our children. And so we're you know very aware of how our games are connected, who our children are talking with, kind of warning them not to talk to strangers on the Internet. Don't trust everyone you know online. And that is true that that does happen. I'm not going to represent that that never happens and we should let our guard down about those kinds of things. But you're exactly right that in about 60 percent of cases around sextortion, the research tells us that the the offender, the perpetrator, the other person is someone they know. Um, one common dynamic that you see in adolescents, so teenagers, is that you have two teenagers who are maybe in a romantic relationship or maybe interested in a romantic relationship and they may exchange images. You could call it, we, as adults, we often call that sexting. When you send an explicit image of yourself to a, a romantic partner, they tend to use, they tend to call it sharing nudes or trading nudes. You might hear that from your, your teenager if you're having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, So a common dynamic anyway is that those images are exchanged consensually and then the relationship goes south and say one one, one person wants to break up and the other party says, no, we're not breaking up. And if you break up with me, I'm going to send these images around. Or Mm -hmm. I want more of this imagery. And person A says, you know, I really, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not comfortable. And they say, well, you're going to do more of it or else I'm going to send these images around. That's a really common dynamic in sextortion cases. And I would agree with you that many of us are not thinking about that. We also... If you've ever done or, or taken classes on child sexual abuse prevention, you'll hear a similar message that 90% of the time kids are sexually abused by someone that they know in real life, a family member, a coach, a teacher, someone in their circle of trust. Um, the data is not exactly the same for online. There is a higher percentage, we think, of kids who are offended or who, where the offenders are a stranger just because the internet allows that access. But it's, it's, still, it's still pretty often, it's still more than the majority of times where the kids experience online exploitation and the other person involved is um, someone in their circle of trust. So mm-hmm. that's an important conversation to kind of have with your child whenever you're having digital safety um, conversations or checking with them about their online life to include examples mm-hmm. of someone they know as, as a potential, you know, um, something that's making them uncomfortable or something that's inappropriate.
1: Right. And I recall reading the the Thorn study. I think you had referenced that in in one of our notes too. Um, Mm -hmm. And so these images aren't just shared within a small group of friends, but they become really sort of just prevalent on on in different sources online and almost impossible to remove.
2: Yeah. So one of our partners in the field, Thorn, has done some really interesting research where they've gone and talked to young people down as far as, you know, age nine, up through 17. So they've really kind of looked at different ages um, of kids and talk to them about their online experiences and that is one thing that they found that you know kids will sometimes exchange these images and it's not uncommon for them to be reshared so we talk about resharing that self-generated content um, which just means that the child in the image took the picture or sometimes you'll see youth-generated contents all the same thing we're talking about kids who are taking images of themselves and sending them on the internet to someone else right Um, And it is it is not uncommon for kids to, you know, when when one person sends an image to another person for that person to share it with someone else and that person to share it with someone else. And I know I'm sure actually some of the educators who are listening, parents are listening, may be aware of incidences within a school where an image like that has been circulating around. And then law enforcement and administrators are kind of asked to deal with that. And one thing I think that as educators, as parents, we're not talking to our kids very much about that we should be talking to them about is resharing that imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing that you mentioned the Thorn research, um, you know, one thing in, in their study that I come back to a lot is the fact that they found children as young as nine to 12 mm-hmm. are reporting that they have, um, seen what, what they they call non-consensual images. It just means, I know this person didn't mean to send this image to me. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I'm not her boyfriend. I'm not her friend, whatever. This wasn't meant for me. And I have it anyway. And then actually, they found the youngest group of boys, the nine to 12 year olds were the most likely to reshare to send on someone else's um, imagery. And I don't think many of us are talking to nine year olds about that, or Mm -hmm. 10 year olds about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's actually really important that we're having a wider conversation with kids that goes beyond just don't ever take this kind of imagery, don't send this kind of imagery. Sure, say that. Also, tell them if you ever receive something like this, Mm -hmm. it's not okay to send it on to someone else. Mm -hmm. No, you should delete it. You should talk to an adult about it, but you shouldn't be resharing it because that causes additional harm to the person in the photo. Um, And I just don't think a lot of our kids are hearing that message from adults.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right, especially in that age group. And one other interesting fact from the Thorne um, study that really stuck with me was you know, one might have this connotation of these images living on the dark web and things like that. And certainly they do but just the prevalence of um, these images then being shared in the adult world via things just as simple as Facebook messenger, which I think they said was the most prevalent medium for sharing images like that. So just this connotation that it doesn't happen here, it's only on the dark web and it's only, you know, shady guys who live in, in a basement somewhere, not the case.
2: Yeah. And when, and certainly we do see, you know, just like you said, it does happen. There are, you know, and the way we would get them in the cyber tip line, for example, is if there's someone who collects that kind of imagery, they are arrested by law enforcement and their, you know, their hard drive goes to law enforcement and law enforcement can see, like sometimes sure, we know that, that these kinds of images end up there. But I think what is more prevalent is that these are circulated around to peers, like yeah. you said. Um, and you have the harm where other people in my school are seeing this imagery. They're, you know, oftentimes these victims get a lot of blame when these images circulate. They get, you know, teased, they get harassed. So that's where part of the harm comes from. But then Mm -hmm. I think your point, too, is well taken that the more an image circulates, the harder it will be to get it off the Internet, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, We know kind of on the extreme end, we have images on the cyber tip line that our analysts are seeing every day. They've seen tens of thousands of times. I mean, there is a point where you get to a level of circulation where um, we think about it as a vortex, like it's, we're probably never going to stop seeing this image circulate because it's just out there so much. Mm-hmm. But the good news side of things is that, um, you know, technology has come a long way. NICMEC has a number of staff members whose whole job is to take reports from people who say, hey, this is an explicit image of a minor. It's my daughter, it's my son, it's mm-hmm. my image. And mm-hmm. they can talk to the platforms about, you um, making sure that that content is content is flagged properly and taken down. We mm-hmm. also offer information on our website, kind of a DIY option where you can go to our website and see how do I report and flag this content for Snapchat, for TikTok, for Facebook, for Instagram, for whatever, you know, there's a variety of platforms on there. Um because we want the message to kids to be if this happens, you know, don't keep it a secret. Let's go ahead and get the content down. I, as, as your parent, I, as your teacher, as your school counselor, I want to help you. Um, and I want to help get this image down because if we can get it down quickly and NCMEC is generally successful in getting content down within about 24 hours, the content mm-hmm. that we're working with the platforms on, um, then we're not going to have this image circulating actively for a long time where it's ending up in, in people's, um, you know, other people's computers. Like we can, now more than ever, we have the technology to get content down when we know about it and when it's Mm -hmm. flagged. So it's a really important message, I think, to get out for people who may have experienced um, their own content circulating is that we don't want to create an environment where our kids can't come talk to us about that because we really can help. There are tools that we can help. We used to Mm -hmm. say, once it's out there, you're never going to take it back. We actually have stopped saying that in our prevention messaging Mm -hmm. because we want kids to know in a lot of circumstances we can if you tell us about it and if we're able to make a report.
1: Interesting, and I think one of the things that you had just mentioned was those open lines of communication. Um, and one of the things that I would always tell my students is, and parents, the best filter is the one between your ears, right? And those open lines <laughs> of communication, and and really critical thinking in terms of how you're using technology. And I, I'd like to talk a little bit about. So you know, in in the news lately, has been um, information about just the um, uh, the body image and depression. There was a, a study recently it's made a lot of, um, made a lot of waves, right, about body image and depression and um, just uh, suicide rates related to images and such that um, specifically teen girls have seen on on platforms like Instagram. Can you talk a bit about that and what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a a very broad conversation, obviously, that, you know, I think our country and, and parents and educators are all grappling with in terms of know what we're learning about possible wide-ranging effects of social media use and Mm -hmm. and you know particulars about platforms that show a lot of images and the body image you know questions and certainly I think all of that's worth paying attention to especially for you know parents of teenagers but also younger kids in terms of thinking about how we're setting them up for success as they Mm -hmm. enter you know the age where they're starting to use social media and um and, and how we establish limits and parental involvement in in their media I think is really important mm-hmm. I think you know from a just focusing on the child exploitation end I think and prevention what it highlights for me is is really kind of connected to what you said where the, the best filter is the one in between your head and I think you know for parents what we often say is the most important thing you can do about online safety it's not about focusing on you know the getting the right parental monitoring software in your home or, or locking down your parental controls. What really is so important is being genuinely involved in your child's online life. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I, when I read the, you know, the research that's coming out and, and and thinking about these possible harmful effects is like, you know, what your child is able to do online and the ways in which you're involved and what you allow and what you don't allow really needs to be specific to your kid, you know? And it, cause I think that's one of the things that's kind of come out is, you know, The kids who are feeling or have the most um, harmful effects are kids who are already struggling with something or have this underlying vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you have a child, you know, so being really involved in your child, what are they doing online? How do they feel when they're they're online? How do they feel before? How do they feel after? Why are they going online? Mm -hmm. Um, And really digging into those questions with your, you know, I mentioned when they're early in setting up for success, one of the things we encourage kids or parents, as soon as you start giving tablets and phones to your kids, really establish, like, I'm going to be involved in what you're doing online. I'm going to understand why you're going online, what you're doing, who you're talking to, how long you're going to be on, how you feel afterwards, and establishing that when they're young and continuing it into adolescence. So, you know, I think I would have different rules for my teenager that maybe had, had experienced eating disorders or or had, um, you know, was struggling with depression. Like I would tailor and change the ways they interacted online. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that is one thing that I'm really thinking about is just really encouraging parents and even educators to have really specific considerations and conversations with their kids. And I think that's important given you know what's coming out in the news right now.
1: Yeah, and I wonder, you know, I'm a parent myself of teenage boys, and um, you know, I've heard other parents say, well, you know, I'll let my child use uh, Instagram but not TikTok, or I'll let them use this mm-hmm. but not that." And I and I I caution them because just because it's on a single platform does not mean <laughs> that your child yeah. is making decisions. So and I love what you said about really um, talking with your child about why they're going online and what it is that they're doing in those social media platforms. Um, and with that, I, I think probably since Belinda and I spoke, I have seen just a tremendous growth in in TikTok and that sort of thing. Uh, Primarily with self-generated content. Um, I know YouTube has like the YouTube shorts. Certainly TikTok is very prevalent. I use it myself. It's entertaining. There's great information, recipes and things like that. But I'm wondering if you can sort of address that question because it's um, self-generated content. Is TikTok bad?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I would kind of hearken back to what we said in the beginning. TikTok's not all bad. TikTok's not all good. Um, And that's true of any internet platform. I think too, before I focus on live streaming, what you just said about trying to restrict, you like, I'll let my kid on one platform, not the other. I think Mm -hmm. another thing for parents to keep in mind is nothing we do to restrict our kids' access to platform is 100% foolproof. They can, like, they're back in school now, so they're on the bus and someone else has TikTok. Like, it doesn't mean, even if you Mm -hmm. say no Instagram um, or no TikTok or no Facebook Messenger or YouTube or whatever you're gonna choose to restrict, Um, I think that's a challenge for us as parents is we have to understand there are, a lot of ways to get around what we restrict on their phones. Yeah. Um, even if it's restricted on our home network, they can go and get free Wi-Fi somewhere else. Like I said, mm-hmm. if you just go over to someone else's house or you meet up, you know, these days you meet up in an open air park or whatever you're going to do. I mean, someone else has a phone that they're going to show them, whatever it is. So um, it not to say you shouldn't set rules and limits. I think those are important, but just to realize that we are limited in our absolute ability to control what kids are seeing online. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's just a reality we have to deal with as parents, but live streaming. Yes. I, you know, agree live streaming, you know, super popular, super popular during the pandemic, lots of good, um, lots of fun. I mean, every, you know, tons of fun, TikTok dances you know, lots of, lots of interesting, you know, content and, um, Mm -hmm. reactions to the news and social activism that happens on TikTok. None of this stuff is all good or all bad. Um, again, it goes back to why is your child using it? What kind of content are they looking at How are they understanding it? Do they have other supports to understand things they see that might be challenging? You know, if they are looking at TikTok or Instagram or everything all day and really struggling with, you know, what people look like online and I don't look like that. And, you know, and, and do they have a, a venue or, um, like I said, supports to explore those feelings? And or if they have questions about relationships they have questions about their own sexuality they have Mm -hmm. questions about their gender identity and maybe they're using um, these platforms to understand how other people are grappling with those things and where they might fit in in the world that's not necessarily bad but where it can lead to vulnerability if if that is their only outlet to explore those questions Mm -hmm. and that is their only place they go and when they see something um, that's upsetting or they or they see something that leads them to have a question or, um, a struggle with their own life that they don't have anywhere else to put that. And they don't have anyone else to talk to about it. That's really Mm -hmm. what can lead to vulnerability either because they're seeing things that are upsetting or exploitative to them and they don't have a way to report it. They don't have a way to process it. Or what we see sometimes is they're able to form, you know, people with bad intentions are able to form really strong relationships with them Mm -hmm. because these are kids who don't have someone else who they feel like understands their problems or can answer their questions. And that's where you start to get um, really vulnerable to exploitation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what we want to watch with our kids is, are we providing them support and outlets for what they're seeing and experiencing them online, whether that's body image, whether that's, you know, exploitation they might encounter or someone asking them to do something that's risky. Like we want to make sure they have a real life counterbalance to whatever they're encountering online.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that's really important. And so, you know, our our work as parents is somewhat more challenging because our children are living, you know, in the both the physical and the virtual world. And mm-hmm. you know, short of of being a parent expert in all social media and all social emotional learning and and all mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. um, and and I don't, I'm sure that parent exists somewhere. Um, I have yet to meet them. Yeah. But I think, I, I wonder if you could talk about, Mc has some tremendous resources um, and go-tos for parents to to begin to understand how to best support their children. And I'm wondering if you can sort of highlight some of those go-to tools that you would recommend for mm-hmm. parents who are struggling with how to raise children in, you know, the year 2021.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And I think you know, one of our challenges as parents, and we're still kind of in this world where um, many of us as parents, you know, if, if the internet was around when we were young people, it certainly doesn't look like it does now. I mean, it doesn't even look the way it did five years ago, right? So I think when I talk to youth, a challenge for them is they they feel like they're in this online world, especially like teenagers now. You know, teenagers now were born, what, in the early 2000s? So they're born around the time that Twitter came out. They're born mm-hmm. right around the time that social media came out. And we've all been figuring out this together. And they really feel that they're like, I was just thrown in here and I've been figuring all this out on my own and nobody really helped me because, you know, adults were figuring out. So I think as much as, even though we're not experts, as much as we can try to jump in that world with them a little bit and, you know, be honest about what we don't know, but also be honest, I think, and letting teenagers know that even if, you know, if you have a, a problem or a question or something that you don't know about relationships, um, or you just need someone to talk to. Like, I think a lot of us parents are trying to get comfortable with talking to our kids about that kind of stuff, would want our, or to be a sounding board or provide them, you know, a cool aunt or a school counselor or someone, you know, they could talk to. I think yeah. a lot of us understand that need. And what we need to do is very explicitly extend that to digital life. Because a mm. lot of kids feel like I could come and talk to my mom, you know, about this, uh, you know, this relationship at school, right? Or I could, I could come out to my parents if I felt like you know, I was ready and and I'm gay. Like a lot of parents are getting more comfortable with that kind of thing. Maybe they, but they're not sure they could come and tell you that they sent an inappropriate image to someone or that they have an online boyfriend and they just feel like my mom would freak out if she knew I were talking to this guy I met online. Right. And so what we need to do, I think as parents is just make ourselves a little bit more comfortable understanding that, like you said, our kids exist online and offline. And the relationships that they form online are real relationships mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. especially during COVID-19. A lot of kids have made online friends through gaming, through whatever. And I think our gut reaction is to be like, you can't have online friends. Those aren't real friends. Like, this is crazy. This is risky. What are you doing? And I think we need to get more comfortable understanding that our kids have relationships online. So ask them about their online friends. What mm-hmm. makes you feel safe with this person? What do you know about them? Why do you mm-hmm. like them? Ask mm-hmm. questions non-judgmental way about the relationships online. Mm-hmm. And our hope is that you know, even if we don't know the ins and outs of TikTok, um, I'm too old to be on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> you know, I understand a little bit about professionally. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be the one like, embarrassing my kids on TikTok, but it doesn't mean I can't have a really in-depth conversation with them about what they like about that platform and who they're meeting on there and yeah. who they're following and why. So I think that's part of it. And then, as far as you know, the National Center has developed resources that we hope will be pretty easy access points. Even if you don't understand technology, you don't this whole sextortion, sex online enticement thing is new and scary. Um, this idea of sharing nudes and you know, my nine or ten year old receiving you know nude images of kids is just freaking you out. Listening to me, totally understand. If you go to missingkids.org, which is our website slash NetSmarts, you probably just Google NetSmarts. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a Z on the end. Yes. Um, but we've organized it by topic. So you can just go and you can say, I want to know about live streaming. We talked a little bit about that. I want to know about sexting and sextortion. Mm-hmm. I want to know about social media. And what we've organized, there's just a very brief intro. This is what it is. There's a how to talk about it section, literally questions you can just use with your child to say, hey, I just listened to this podcast and this person was talking about this. I had no idea. I want, I have like three questions I want to ask you about your online life and specific to this issue. And then there are a variety of videos. Um, We have discussion guides um, around a lot of these issues. And again, you can, our website, you can kind of navigate it how you want. You can go by topic, you can go by age. You can say, I have high schoolers. I want to see everything for high schoolers. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I have a middle schooler. I have an elementary school student. So we've organized tip sheets, videos, discussion guides. You can just literally like, hey, kiddo, I want to watch this like three minute video with you and then talk about it all of that is on our website. It's easy for teachers to use. We have um, classroom activities um, and you can even go and and see where our um, digital safety materials line up with different like ITSI standards and other um, common core standards, things like that. So you can even implement this in your classroom or as a parent as well. So we've tried to make like really easy conversation starters and tools on our website to talk about these issues tailored all the way from kindergarten through high school.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so the the uh, links will be on our website um, as well. And just to reiterate, that was missingkids.org slash Netsmarts with a mm-hmm. Z. Um, and I would agree some amazing resources and they're so um, they're so contemporary too. you. You do an amazing job of, of sort of keeping them up to date in terms of mm-hmm. what what our kiddos um, are doing online. Um, Susan, what one piece of wisdom for parents as we close our podcast today.
2: Oh gosh. I mean, I just like talk about this stuff would be my biggest, Mm -hmm. um, piece of advice. I think one thing that surprised me also, and and start younger. So I'm going to, I'm going to like put two together, like talk about, talk about online exploitation, but talk about it as soon as they're getting their laptop or their tablets, you know, even two-year-olds I'm not judging. My two-year-old had a laptop watching, you know, um, you know, walled off kids videos, but.
1: Mine did too. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, I I think the thing is, is that um, what puts kids at risk is that they often feel like they can't talk to anyone about what's happened online. Mm -hmm. And they feel that way either because they think that they're, the parents won't understand because they're not using the internet the same way. And, you know, that's always true of any kind of kind of a uh, lots of different victimizations have that barrier to reporting but what makes technology different in some ways is that kids also fear that their access to the internet will be taken away that their phones are going to be taken away and in this day and age that is a big consequence for our mm-hmm. adolescents and you know especially again during the pandemic where they may not have the same in person access so making clear to our kids very early on and you can talk about this stuff in a way that's not about sex when they're young you can mm-hmm. just talk about privacy the same way we tell our kids you know, don't w- when we go out in public, we're going to have our private parts covered. If you have to go to the bathroom, you wait till you're inside the bathroom, to take your pants down, mm-hmm. like very simple stuff. Right. I think before I worked at the National Center, even coming from a background in child protection, where I'd had all these conversations with my kids, I was very explicit about their body parts didn't all the things are supposed to do. I never talked about videos or live streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think we start that conversation early. And we're doing, you're providing some resiliency against online exploitation. But again, you're just starting you're setting yourself up for success to have open lines of communication about their kids online life. So they don't feel like online life is something I have to navigate on my own. So if, you know, looking at all these images is making me feel really bad about myself. If I'm exposed to a lot of harmful content, that's my problem to deal with over here. What we Mm -hmm. want for our kids is we want them to know and expect that kid that adults in their lives are willing and able and competent to be involved in their online life. So that would be my biggest thing is like, don't focus so much on, the platforms and freaking out about parental controls, those things are important to focus on some, but the more important piece to focus on is your relationship with your kids and getting comfortable being involved in their online life.
1: Great. Thank you so much. And I also, um, one thing that you said that stuck with me was if you're not comfortable as the parent, find that digital cool aunt, right? (laughs) Yeah. Who is it that they, that they trust and can have those conversations with so that, so that they're having them. Susan, thank you so much. The work that you all do at the National Center is just it's amazing. And thank you for doing all you do to protect our children.
2: Thank you for inviting me and I I hope these resources are helpful. Mm,
0: Thank you to both Valerie and Susan for that wonderful conversation. I think it's always important to remember that a lot of these cases of sexual exploitation come from people that your children know. Including their peers. It's not always just some shady guy in a basement. That's why it's important to maintain a conversation with your children. So if or when anything does happen, it can be taken care of quickly and as best as you can. Start having these conversations with your children when they are young. And if you haven't started yet, get started today. Nick Mick has a ton of resources to help with many circumstances you might find yourself in, which are all included in the podcast description for you to check out. You can also find all the resources provided on our website at cc2.org podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Educator Capacity. To be the first to know when our next episode lands, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Ms. Liz Elliott, band teacher for Whitewater Middle School, for providing the music for this podcast. We'll see you next time.